Hey friends, Pastor Andrew here. Thanks for taking the time to listen in on our sermons here at Asheville First Church of the Nazarene. We post these even though they were preached in a specific time and a specific place to a certain community of people, hoping that God still might use them to speak to you wherever you are. God bless. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 16. Let me say a prayer for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your spirit is here with us. We thank you that you have shared the truth with us, that we are loved, that we are yours, that we are strong in Christ. Lord, would your spirit continue to speak to us now as we turn to your word? Would the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you? May your spirit move in us and give us a fresh anointing of what the gospel means for us today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went to the, to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you, people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you and falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can the saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but it is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can I share a slight pastor confession with you? Um, I may have shared this before, but I don't really like to preach on the big texts. I like to preach on the smaller texts that no one really pays attention to or people don't really know because I really like to dig in and get a new perspective on it. But the big ones... Uh, the, the ones that are foundational to the gospel, the ones we, we can't get around that all everyone knows. 
I feel the weight of it. I feel my smallness in front of them and think, what else can I add to the words of Christ himself beyond what's already on the page? It's too big for someone like me to expound on. Um, so sometimes I, I almost dread preaching them. This is tough. But I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot because I think that's what the Spirit calls us to do and the Spirit helps us to do, so it's not just about anything I have to say. But I also know and realize that there's been 2,000 years since Christ spoke these words. Um, and, and while they mostly are pretty straightforward, there is a deeper meaning and connection that we miss because we're not uh, Middle Eastern Israelites 2,000 years ago with a different culture. And so Jesus was speaking at the time, so I think there is some fresh things that we can take from the text and look at. But it doesn't really get much bigger than the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is this uh, Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Jesus is making basically in the Gospel of Matthew his inaugural address. Uh, we left off in chapter 4 last week with the temptations of Christ, and we saw that that was the beginning of his ministry. It was a kind of a, a purification of his ministry, what God was calling him to do and resisting the temptations to do otherwise. Now things have picked up steam. Jesus has been preaching a very similar message of, of John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. And Jesus, people have been listening to him. Crowds have been gathering. He's been healing people. He's, he's been healing people that have never, never walked in their life, those that have been possessed, those who have illnesses. He has been healing and teaching, and great crowds are following him. There is high expectation that this is the Messiah. This is the one we have been waiting for. What that really means is not only the Messiah, that this is the king in the line of David who we have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years for the Israelites. Expectations could not be higher. So in Matthew chapter 5, what we need to see is the importance that Jesus goes up to a mountain. He was up on top of a mountain in Matthew chapter 4 when he's had the temptations. Now he's on the top of a mountain. And here we should think about Moses receiving the law of God on top of a mountain, Mount Sinai. But also, Matthew knows that Jesus is way more important and way higher, excuse you know, language, way higher, I don't know if that's a good English way to say it, but he's much more than Moses, right? What we should see here, and what we might miss because we're not in a monarchy, we're not in a royal court, that Jesus goes up to a mountain and he sits down. It's like a king sitting on his throne, and notice what happens when the king sits, his subjects come forward. The scripture is very clear. The disciples come forward once Jesus sits. And then Jesus begins to speak and to teach them. What we should see here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the king, and now the king has sat and is going to make his inaugural address. He is going to tell us the law of his kingdom. I'm saying this because when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, it is the constitution of what the kingdom of God looks like. And if you and I have any, any interest 
at entering that kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, then we might want to pay attention very carefully on what Jesus is saying here, that the king is pronouncing the law of his kingdom. And it's going to look a little different than what we know. So as we look into the text this morning, and as we read that list of Beatitudes, I, hang with me here, I hope this stuck out to you, that none of these are true. Say what? Pastor, Scripture. Do you, read, do you read this list and you realize that none of them are true in this world? I mean, think about it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. I hope you don't come over to my house and pat me on the back if I'm mourning a loved one and say, hey, blessed are you. Good, good for you. It'd be really bad pastoral care. These aren't true in this world. You know what is true in this world? Let me read you a list of beatitudes that are true in this world. Blessed are the confident in spirit, for they always get ahead. Blessed are those who are happy, for they always have a good time. Blessed are the strong, for they control the earth. Blessed are those who fight back, because no one messes with them. Blessed are the shrewd in the heart, for they will never be deceived. Blessed are those who win, for they, no one wants to compromise. Blessed are those who are safe, because no one wants harm to come to them. Blessed are you when people like you, for that feels pretty good. Those are the things that are true about this world. Those are the things that the world operates on. That's kind of our gut instinct in our culture, that we want to be safe, we want to be strong, we want people to like us, we want to win, we want to be powerful, smart, fill in the blank. No one wakes up and says, you know, the, today I want to be really meek. Not too many people do, at least. Uh, not too many people wake up and say, uh, today I want to be poor in spirit. Can you imagine if a meek person ran for president in this country? We would laugh them off the stage. They wouldn't get two votes. This world wants the toughest, the most confident, the richest, the smartest. And yet Jesus is painting a different picture entirely. What's going on in the Beatitudes? I'll tell you what's going on. That the king, the Messiah, sits down and he tells us not about this world or the kingdoms of earth, because everybody knows those kingdoms. Everybody knows how this world works. Trust us, we all know, we've experienced it, we lived in it. What Jesus is doing is sitting down and says, let me tell you what my kingdom looks like. And what we can see from the outset, it is completely different than the kingdoms of this world that we know. And in fact, what you should see is that opposite isn't even a strong enough word for what the kingdom of God looks like when compared to the kingdoms of the earth. It is an up 
upside down kingdom. It is a kingdom that does not make sense to the world as it stands and to our culture. And here we stand already at a crossroads. Before we even dig into these, before we even understand what they mean for us today, we have a contrast before us. We have a choice. Which kingdom do we prefer? We're going to have to make a choice. You make a choice every day when you wake up and the way you live in the world today. Do you like Jesus' list? Or do you like that other list I read? And I'll tell you which list you like by the way you live. Which kingdom are you living in? You make that choice every day. So let's look at it and see what it means to live in the kingdom of Christ and to follow him. Uh, before we get directly into the Beatitudes themselves, and don't worry, we're not going to spend 10 minutes on each one. We'd be here all day. Uh, before we get in, I want to just have a few quick, um, you know, things, say, say a few things before we get into it. Uh, the first is we need to keep them rooted in the Old Testament. These are Israelites Jesus is speaking to. Um, and so they are all connected to the expectations of Israel. So we're going to look at Old Testament scriptures that help us understand what these mean for us today. Uh, along those lines also, you'll notice in Luke, uh, Luke records the Beatitudes as well, and they're just slightly different. But those slight differences can have a bigger impact. And you can say, well, which way is it, Pastor? Uh, because in Luke, it's not the poor in spirit, just simply the poor. Blessed are the poor. Um, blessed are the hungry, right, in Luke. Luke's, you might say, is a little bit more practical, some would say. Um, it's both and. It's two sides of the same coin. Uh, the different perspectives gives us a richer understanding of what Christ meant. Uh, so it's not a choice between the two. It, it's both and, and we have a better understanding because we have both Gospels uh, before us. Uh, but today, I'm not going to try to compare the two lists necessarily. We're going to stick in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, the second is we need to understand this term blessed. Is again, we don't really talk like this anymore, right? It, the Greek word is makorii, and uh, there's been a lot of debate of how do you translate this and different things. Um, even maybe some of our Bibles try to be hip and cool, and they try to say happy are those I don't like that um, translation. I understand there might be a small component of happiness, uh, but really that cheapens the word. So um, I, I don't really like the, the happy translation. Really what Jesus is saying, what we think of, what he's meaning with blessed is God's favor. You know, when you say for someone, if I ever tell you, which I, I do, I say, God bless you, what we're saying basically is I, I, I pray and I hope that God's favor rests upon you. Um, and so Jesus here is saying, here are the folks who have God's favor. Now you might say, Pastor, I'm a little uncomfortable thinking about some people having God's favor and some people not. Isn't that a little unfair? Right? Um, no. It's not. What we do talk about is that we're all equal before God. God loves us equally. But if you've ever had children or, or students or anything like that, you'll know that there's some activities, there's some actions that are much more favored than others. What Jesus is saying is here, 
are the actions and the people who are favored by God. And that should strike us because this is how this is so revolutionary, because even for religious circles through all time, these people haven't been favored. If someone was poor in spirit or someone was mourning or sick or having a hard time, they say, boy, God must not like you, right? You must have done something wrong. Think of the book of Job. What did you do to get such a bad rap? And here, Jesus is saying, ah, ah, God's favor rests on these, despite what it looks like. Okay, and that brings us to our third, uh, my third kind of point before we go into it. Are these, one of the debates in the Beatitudes is, are these things simply you are or you're not? Or are these commands that you need to do, right? Do you you get what I mean by that? Are these just some people are this way and they're just blessed and they have God's favor? Or these things, pastor, that I really need to work towards and be? Both right? Both. Um, there's certain on these lists, and we're going to talk, to, I'm going to mention that as I go through it. There's certain parts of this that you may not be right now, or you, I don't want you going looking for mourning or persecution or different things like that, right? Um, don't search those out. But on the other hand, I wouldn't be a good Westland if I just said, well, either you are or you aren't. Tough nuts, you know? No. It is we can move this direction as we follow Christ's direction. As we enter in the kingdom, this is what it looks like. And so these are ways of being that we are called to do. This is where we're called to. Um, And so I do believe these are actions, things, uh, dispositions, attitudes that we should have as Christians. So it makes it all the more important that we understand. Okay, let's let's look at them uh, without much further ado. Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. This one's probably the hardest uh, for us to exactly nail down uh, what Christ uh, meant then and, and means for us today. But we can understand it through Isaiah chapter 57. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for us very quickly. Isaiah chapter 57 says this, God dwells with the lowly of spirit. The lowly of spirit. I think the simplest way I can say this um, is that it's really the proper way to be human is that you have and realize within yourself a complete dependence on the grace of God. Meaning that you know you don't have it all figured out, that you aren't strong enough, good enough, smart enough, that you have such a dependence on God that you're not full of yourself, that you're depending on God, right? It is a humble dependence on the grace of God, realizing you are human and imperfect and you need God's grace. I think it's helpful to think of the opposite here. You ever meet people, and I think there's this religious category, meet people that, boy, um, they're just spiritual charisma, personal charisma. I mean, just can't do anything wrong. Let's go knock them dead. We can do anything. Um, Just have a strength of spirit. And and really, those are the people we look up to a lot of times. Those are the people that get put into leadership positions. Those are the people you kind of make pastor, right? But the lowly in spirit are the people, even in church, that seem to have a harder time. Yeah, they're faithful. Yeah, they give a lot. But they're quiet. 
They're not, they're not going around shouting about what God's doing through their lives. They're just simply and quietly following Christ depending on His grace. Um, the poor in spirit. I don't think people often look up to or they don't get elevated to high positions. And that's very much in the line of the gospel. First shall be last and last shall be first. Christ here, I think, is saying is the weakest in the kingdom of God that maybe people overlook. That's where God's favor rests. Can you be that person or is it just some people? I think we can strive to be, right? Um, I think it's like humility. Once you say, yeah, I'm poor in spirit, then you're exactly not the poor in spirit. Just like, I'm a humble, I'm humble, right? I'm the most humble person. You're not, right? You're not, you're not. I hate to break it to you. Um, that's not how that works. And so I, I, I think it's the case. But um, I think we, we can lean that way and through the Spirit's leading, what we do is that we exemplify a dependence on God's grace and not of ourselves. And then, in essence, we are obeying the law of the kingdom of Christ there. Um, and, but we need to remember that. I'm going to get to the church component, but we need to remember that in our church community, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Don't look down on people because they seem weaker in the faith than you, or maybe they just don't, aren't as loud as you, or they don't talk as much about what's going on. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we need to live that out in our community. I'm going to speak more about that. All right. Moving ahead, uh, blessed are those that mourn. And this one is more obvious for us. Um, and what I'm about to say, I don't want to take away from the obvious meaning. I, I really do believe this really impacts us as we are mourning uh, very real losses in our lives. Um, but a large portion of these Beatitudes, we have to think of not an individualistic perspective. Um, Jesus was talking to his disciples as a group and, and also the people of God of Israel um, and we need to understand in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 61 is one of our powerful um, prophecies of who the Messiah would be. And it says, uh, and we know it well, uh, God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and to comfort all those that mourn, right? This is a, poor, this is a part of who the Messiah must be, is comfort those who mourn. Um, and so the prophet there in Isaiah is thinking about, and also for the, the Messiah who Jesus is, is to comfort those who mourn in Israel. All right? um, and just very quickly, those who mourn in Israel would be mourning about the state of God's people. That they went into exile, that they, they disobeyed God, and they're suffering the consequences. And really, that God's kingdom, God's righteousness and justice haven't come about on earth like they had hoped, right? And they're mourning that. They are mourning that the systems of this world are broken. They are mourning that God's righteousness is not apparent everywhere. That's who those who mourn in the kingdom of Israel, that the Messiah now comes and comforts. Do we see that? Um, and so what Jesus is saying is, blessed are those who mourn, um, not because Right now, it's all going to be fixed, but there's coming a day when they will be comforted because their expectations, those who got the raw end of the deal, those that have suffered the broken systems of this world, they will be comforted in the kingdom to come, right? That's why they're blessed. Um, and so 
can you be this person? Yeah, you, you really can. And it's not only for when you lose a loved one. And in fact, it's more so when you come alongside those who are suffering because of injustice and unrighteousness and the evil of this world, mourning the state of the world as it is and looking forward to how it will be in the kingdom of God. That is what Jesus is pointing to there. And blessed are those who mourn. All right, the meek. Uh, this one's uh, much more straightforward. Uh, but again, why do the meek inherit the earth? That seems like a weird connection, right? Um, we need to go back to Psalm 37. But the meek shall possess the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. That's Psalm 37. So Jesus, the Israelites would have heard, he's basically quoting the psalm that they would have known that the meek are going to possess the land. What's that about? What that's about is the psalm originally is talking about poor tenant farmers, right? Poor tenant farmers that didn't have any power, uh, that got pushed around, that people would, you know, bigger, more powerful landowners would tell them or take their land or do different things. And they just get pushed around a lot, right? And poor tenant farmers. And there the psalm is saying, hey, those are the people that God's going to give the land to. And there they're thinking the psalm, the land of Israel. And here Jesus is saying, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Don't get funny on me and think, well, are some people going to be on earth and some people going to be in heaven? Well, what's going on here? Uh, Jesus making the point, really quoting Psalm 37, just to say that the meek are going to inherit everything. It, it will be theirs in my kingdom. Who are the meek? Thinking about those poor tenant farmers, the meek are those who we might just call weak. Uh, the meek are those who are nonviolent, who are humble and gentle. I like that word gentle in their dealings with others. Those are who the meek are. If someone's meek, they are going to be very gentle. They're not going to be aggressive. It is the opposite of all of those things. They're not going to push for their way. Rather, sometimes the meek get pushed around. Again, we can almost say humble, but this has a gentle quality to it. And here, Jesus says, in my kingdom... I know that's a reversal from what you're used to because what happens in the world is the meek get trampled underfoot and the strong take what they want. But in my kingdom, the meek are going to inherit it all, the entire earth. That's a grand reversal. Can you be meek? Yes. I believe that's what we're called to be. I know some of us have stronger personalities. Some of us are more go-getters, but we can all be gentle, humble, kind and not push others around. I, I, that's the core of the gospel here. And if your personality is a little different than that, then you just pray harder and trust that the Holy Spirit can shape you into a meek person. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. I won't spend too much time here because uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but again, this is referencing the idea that God's righteousness would come on the scene, that God's righteousness would come into the world and those that hunger for it. The reversal part of this is no one really wants to be the person hungering for righteousness. We all want to be the people that have righteousness around us. Because when you don't have righteousness around you, that means you're suffering injustice. You're suffering pain and evil. 
But Jesus is saying you're blessed when you hunger for it and you thirst for it because you're hungering and thirsting for the right thing. And trust me, when my kingdom comes in its fullness, you will have it. So we are blessed when we hunger for God's righteousness to come into the world. When you're hungry for something, you work towards it, don't you? When I'm hungry, I go make myself a sandwich. So we work for God's righteousness and justice in the world today as we hunger still for that kingdom to come. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew emphasizes mercy in a large way. It is a core of the Gospel. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, it says, God declares, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And Jesus quotes that passage two different times in the Gospel of Matthew. What Jesus is highlighting is that a core characteristic of who God is is mercy. What is mercy, quite simply? Mercy is when someone does something to you, when they cut you off in traffic and they deserve a good strong honk, and you don't honk. I'm guilty of that. I like to honk. (laughs) Right? It's when someone says something to your crossways and you have every right to tell them how wrong or bad they are, and yet you respond with grace. Mercy is what happens when you don't get what you deserve. You get grace. This is all of our encounters with God, that none of us, all of us have sinned, and none of us have gotten what we deserve from God. Instead, God gave us forgiveness and grace. That is mercy, right? So Jesus here is saying, blessed are the merciful, because they're going to receive God's mercy, right? That you don't, you don't get to receive God's mercy and then hold it to yourself and not give it to anybody else. You have to give mercy. The reversal here is that often the merciful are, are again, trampled over. The merciful are taken advantage of. The merciful don't get ahead. It's those who get revenge and get even that get ahead in this world. That's why it's a reversal. But in God's kingdom, that ain't going to fly. In God's kingdom, we receive mercy as we give mercy. Can you be it? Can you be a merciful person? Oh, you better be if you want to see God's kingdom. This is one we must strive to live out daily, for it is the core of the gospel. Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, This is really referencing not the blessed are the perfect people. Oh, boy, they're going to see God. Because most of us start sweating. Oh, boy, I'm not perfect, right? I'm not pure. Um, This isn't talking about the person that's perfect. This isn't talking about the person that never has a bad thought, is never tempted. None of us wouldn't check any of those boxes off. What this is talking about, more of like uh, a metal alloy, right? Um, It's basically saying like pure gold, it's not mixed with anything else. A pure aluminum, it's not mixed with anything else. You are blessed when your heart wants one thing. That's purity. When you desire one thing, your heart is pure. If you desire God and God's kingdom, we say usually in the church, if you just desire Jesus, but by desiring Jesus, you desire his kingdom. If you desire with your whole life that one thing, Jesus is saying you're blessed because you're not going to be let down. 
you are going to see God. That's why I like to say to people when they're talking about spirituality and different things, you get what you want. In the grand scheme of things, you get what you want. And people say, oh, good, I can have whatever I want, right? Yeah, if you want the cars, you want the money, you want, go get it. See how far that takes you. See how long that satisfies you. As for me, I want one thing, God, his kingdom. Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers. I knew this sermon was long, but this is going a lot longer than I thought it was going to go. But I I really think this is important, so bear with me. I I know it's going a little over time. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Um, I I talk about this all the time. Uh, This is a grand reversal, quite simply, because it's uh, blessed are those who, you know, don't have to make peace. They just get their way. They win the arguments, right? I mean, we're, we're painfully aware about the politics in this country is that no one wants to compromise. Everyone wants to win and see where that gets us. We don't make peace in our culture. We, we, don't, we don't honor those who make peace in our culture, right? We honor those who get their way. And yet in the kingdom of God, blessed are those who make peace. The people would have heard it because there's a common phrase, the Pax Romana. Rome had made peace like earth had never known before. Um, For their territory, usually you'd have tribes interfighting and different things like that, but since there was just one government and and Romans were so strong that the fighting in all these areas had really stopped. And they called it the peace of Rome. And Jesus speaking into that would have been saying, no, that's not peace. That's peace brought by the sword. That's peace that has a knife hanging above your head if you misbehave. The peace that God brings is shalom. It's perfect peace. And blessed are those who work towards it. Yeah, sometimes it feels futile. Sometimes it feels like you're not doing anything. Sometimes you see the state of the world and say, ah, it's useless. But blessed are the peacemakers that work towards it. For they will be called children of God. That's the family business. You realize that? That's why you're children of God. Because you're doing like your Father in heaven has done. He has made peace with us. And so now we make peace with those around us because we are children of God. Blessed are they. The last two are very connected. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And basically the the final one is blessed are you when you are persecuted on Christ's account. Obviously the two are connected um, but the slight difference there is, blessed are you if, you if you're doing good, if you're working towards peace or justice or righteousness out in the world and people persecute you for it, then you're blessed. Or, or if people persecute you, harm you, hurt you because of your witness to Jesus Christ, blessed are you. Why is that a reversal? And, and why is it even a reversal in our church today? because we don't want anybody to harm us, right? If we talk about someone harming us as Christians today in America, you know what the next phrase is? I got something for you too, right? Come knocking on my door, see what happens. How can we be blessed for persecution if we would never be willing to allow anybody to persecute us? I'm not saying go out and search for persecution. I'm talking about a different spirit of Christ's kingdom, that we are the meek, 
We are the peacemakers. We're not the people that say, oh, I'm never getting persecuted. That's for those people over there, not for me. Right? I'm worried about a spirit in American Christianity that these last two mean nothing to us. That we would never be willing to be persecuted on Christ's account. We'd rather take someone else's life. Blessed are you when you are persecuted on Christ's account or for righteousness' sake. Okay. So here's the king. He has outlined his kingdom of what it looks like. I simply want to say to us today, we have a choice. Whatever kingdom we want, we will get. And I will tell you, it is much, much, much easier to live by the rules and the ways of the kingdoms of earth. They're in the water, as they say. It's what we're, even if we're raised in church, when we go to school, when we're on the playground, when we're growing up, that's the way we learn. They're human nature. It's a thing we call original sin, right? I already see it in Desmond. He was playing with a little girl yesterday, and he, she was touching his toy, and he just took her hand and threw it off. I said, no, this is my toy. And I said, oh, my sweet little boy. <laughs> Sweet little boy. It's who we are, right? What Jesus is saying is, this is what my kingdom looks like. And I'm going to ask you in these minutes to ask yourself, what kingdom do I want? Which kingdom do I choose? And am I, is my life reflecting that kingdom? Right? I believe we can reflect the kingdom of God. In fact, I believe that is why we are gathered here on Sunday morning. I, I, I hope you realize that this church building, what I'm, I do here and why we meet and why we work to have a church is not just so you have a place to come and worship on Sunday morning, however great that is. We are here we are together and we're not at home watching a computer screen this morning because we are called to be and point to the kingdom of God. We are called to be here as a group of people contributing, working, living it out. So when someone walks on our property, when they encounter us, they encounter a different sort of kingdom. Amen? Amen? Jesus came not to make Rome a better place, but to offer an alternative kingdom. And we work, we sacrifice, we give, we pray, we come together to point to that kingdom. And I hate to tell you, you can't do it by yourself. Despite what American Christianity tells you, that if you just pray and watch something on TV, you can be okay, we are called to be a part of that kingdom now. Otherwise, it's not the Messiah that Israel was expecting that came and brought the kingdom to earth. Right? Jesus didn't come to just make some refugees to hunker down in a bunker and wait till the end. You know what he said? You are salt. So, ugh, I don't want to be salt. It's bad for your heart, isn't it? You are salt. Salt during this time was a preservative. It was valuable. They didn't have refrigeration or freezers. What they had to do is they had to salt everything to make sure it kept so they could eat it later, right? 
What Jesus is saying is, I'm here to make you salt to preserve the world. Do we think about it like that? Most of us are so busy thinking, I don't want anything to do with the world. Get me out of here, Jesus. Let's go. Let's run. And Jesus said, no, I'm sprinkling you around the world. If it's not for you and the kingdom, my kingdom, this world will go up in flames. And it would. You are here for the sake of the world to preserve it, to give witness to God's kingdom. He also says, you're the light. We often talk about how Christ is light. He says, you're the light. I've came to make you the light. You're my disciples. I'm going to send you out into the darkness to shed the light all around to give witness to my kingdom. So my friends, we are here for a purpose. We are the salt and the light for God. Yeah, we don't do it perfectly. We need to be the poor in spirit. We don't need to be boop, 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 boop. We're so great. Ha ha, you fools, you're, you're doomed. No, we're poor in spirit. We're here for the sake of the world to give witness to God's kingdom. You hear me this morning? We're here for a purpose. We need to come together. I, we talk about sometimes the commitment to church is way, it's going down and down and down. It's because people don't see the perspective. They don't see the truth. That we're not just here to put on a show. We're not just here to have good music. We're not just here to be a holy club. We're not any of those things. We are here to be a part of and to represent a different type of kingdom. And that comes out in our ministries. That does come out in our worship. But I hope that just comes about in our holy lives together as people encounter a different sort of kingdom. Is that the kingdom you want? Is that the kingdom you're living in right now? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we turn to you now, we ask that your spirit would speak to us. We need you, Heavenly Father. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts. May we examine where we are living right now. Would you show us what your kingdom looks like here in Asheville, North Carolina? What it looks like in our homes? What it looks like here in this church? We promise to be listening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, you know, it'd be real easy on a day like today with five minutes to 12, I'd just say, okay, went a little over time. Let's just go on ahead out, pray. Pray real quick and we'll go, right? It would be, you know, I'll go over time. I would do that and I would close my sermons out like that every Sunday. I wouldn't worry about communion or prayer if I thought you were good enough to do this. Right, right? If I thought you were so good, we just need to read off the list. Why did I even talk for that long? Just read the list, Pastor. I got it. Bing, bing, bong. Thing is, is I don't think I'm good enough or you're good enough to just live this out on your own. I don't, I don't think you're just going to make a switch to your head and just say, yeah, I'm going to do those things. See you next week. No. What I know that you can't do it apart from God's help. You can't do it apart from God's presence in your life through God's grace working on you day in and day out. That's why we close our services in a time of prayer, whether it be a prayer in an altar or prayer in your pew. That's why we close with communion. 
Just like prayer is a means of God's grace. It is saying, Jesus, I need you. I'm not good enough. I can't do it on my own. So I hope you'll take this time. I know we're over time, but I hope you won't miss this opportunity to talk to God, to receive his grace, further your dependence on him, and listen for what he would say to you in these moments. As our servers come down, on the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and after breaking it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, said, this is the cup of the covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. When you're ready, come receive the grace of the king that allows you to live into his kingdom. Let us continue in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for inviting us into your kingdom. We thank you that you, you didn't leave us to languish in the kingdoms of this world, Lord, but that you came to bring your kingdom and make it available to us all. You threw the gates of your kingdom wide open through the life and the death of Jesus Christ. And it's only by your grace and mercy that we are able to come in. And so we pray, Lord, and we, we confess that we need you. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough to live this out, to follow Christ. We need your grace and your mercy. And I pray that we would be faithful to open ourselves to you every day and allow you to work through us. May we be your holy people. May we be the light and the salt for wherever you have placed us, especially in this community that you have called us to, Lord. May we represent your kingdom, an alternative kingdom to this world, Lord. And may we faithfully represent it here at the church in our lives and our community together, Lord. May people see these laws written on our hearts and our lives and our activities and the way we treat others and the way we treat uh, ourselves and the way we handle our community here at the church. Lord, I pray that we uh, would have a vision of what this looks like in 2019 in our city. Lord, would you give us an imagination, a vision, and the hunger and thirst to see it through? Would you bring enough resources for us to advance your kingdom? Would you, would you give us enough laborers in the vineyard to advance your kingdom, Lord? And would we be faithful, whatever you have given us, to make sure that people see your kingdom? Lord, we lift up those who are hurting or struggling today. We think of many with physical ailments, Lord. We think of uh, friends that are mourning today, have emotional burdens that they're carrying for themselves or loved ones, Lord. There are many going through a difficult time, and I pray that they would lean on you, that even though I know they don't feel blessed, that they are blessed if they trust in you for everything that they have. I lift up our leaders to you, especially Greg Mason, uh, our leader on the North Carolina District. Bless him, give him wisdom and grace as he uh, gives us leadership as a church. Uh, we thank you uh, for 
the Church of the Nazarene, what it represents, and we just pray that you'd bless it. Bless those that are laying their lives on the line for the gospel, Lord. Protect them, uh, guide them, and uh, may their ministries be furthered. And Lord, we, uh, we just pray that there might be opportunities this week that we might represent this kingdom to others around us that don't know you that are still suffering, that are still hurting or broken, Lord. May we show the light of Christ to them this week. Lord, we love you so much. Help us to pray that prayer you taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? You are the people of that great upside-down kingdom. May you live a life worthy and that points to that kingdom coming now and always. Thanks for listening in today. I hope God continues to speak to you in the days to come and that you find whatever is the next step for you in your life. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website at ashnaz.org or feel free to stop by the church anytime. We'd love to see you. God bless.